Hi, this is Fraser Hines, uh, Jamie McCrimmon from Doctor Who, and you're listening to Nerdology. Hi, this is Mark, and welcome to episode 44 of Nerdology, and I'm joined today by friend of the show, it's Lindsay. Hey, Lindsay. Hello. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, thanks. Good. We are going to take a bit of time out to have a look at um, an old Doctor Who episode. So uh, I think last time we spoke, one of the things I mentioned I really enjoy is getting people to watch an old Doctor Who that I haven't seen before and sort of try and experience it through their eyes. And I find that quite an interesting way of looking at it for something that's, you know, quite uh, familiar to me to have somebody else here and hear their thoughts on it. So uh, we had a bit of a, a chat and I came up with um, the 1967 Patrick Troughton story, The Tomb of the Cybermen. Yes, which I had not seen. No. Along with most of uh <laughs> What are we calling it these days? Is it legacy? Classic, classic who is what they tend to say. Yeah. yeah, it's all one big thing, though, isn't it? You know, right the way you know, Pat from Hartnell through to Jodie Whittaker, it's all one, all one big story, really. Yeah, absolutely. As as I'm concerned, anyway. But there you go. <laughs> so, um, first thoughts. I actually really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very much of its time. It is, and I think. I'm sure we'll discuss some of the elements that result uh, from this, but I am very aware of the fact that you have to enjoy something for what it is. Yeah. Um, you, I could compare it to you know a modern cyber day, uh, cyber day, Cyberman episode. Yeah. Um, but at certain stages, that ceases to be valuable because actually, yeah. it's it's what it is. It was made in an era when. Uh, Doctor Who did stories that had four episode arcs or six or eight um, mm. and yeah you know visual effects and, and costuming were not what they are now no no and there's also some slight stereotyping of several no, groups really? um, <laughs> we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get on to that so um, this uh, features Patrick Troughton as the second version of Doctor Who and his companions for this story are Fraser Hines playing Jamie McCrimmon and uh, Deborah Watling playing Victoria Waterfield. This is her first trip proper in the TARDIS. So she was introduced in the previous story, which is called Evil of the Daleks, which sadly no longer exists in in, in its entirety. There are um, a, one or two episodes knocking around of that. But um, yeah, so this is her first trip in the TARDIS. We have to say this story up until the early 90s, was was missing from the archives. So it's broadcast in September 67. Uh, yeah. And the BBC, possibly without realising the, the value of these sorts of programmes back at the time and the, the, the sheer cost of videotape archives and what have you, they tended to, once the repeats had gone out, they would wipe the tapes and then use them again. Um, so this was thought to be lost for... The best part of 30 years and then um, thanks to the BBC sending out film copies to various countries around the world um, this was located in Hong Kong I seem to remember at wow. Rediffusion uh, so it came back to the BBC archive in 1992 um, 
There's something wonderful about that, though. And I know it must be incredibly frustrating, particularly for completionists, to mm-hmm. know that there is Doctor Who out there that they haven't seen. But for me, I feel like there's there's almost something kind of magical about it. Yeah. Particularly I... the idea that other bits might still be found. Mm, yeah, there's a real... Is it nerdy to say there's a real romance about it? It's just... No, you I have get this, that. You have this image in your mind of what they must be like. And for we're quite lucky within Doctor Who that because there were such big fans back in the day, every single episode exists in audio form because people would record the TV. So even if it doesn't exist as a television program, you can still listen to it. And fans do something called reconstructions where they'll take... Uh, photos that were taken from the TV screen and sort of create a slideshow along with the soundtrack to give you the impression of what it might have been like. Um, So you've got that to sort of fall back on if you want to go back and see these stories. But yeah, to see this back and complete um, was quite a big deal back in in the day. Yeah, I can imagine. And I like, I like that as an insight into fandom and how fandom changes. Mm. I... I am young enough, which is not a phrase I often get to say. Um, I'm young <laughs> enough that, you know, as soon for as long as I was really into things, there was the capacity to record them off the TV. Yeah. Um, there's a very funny story about my parents having to acquire a video cassette player because I was going to miss an episode of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. Wow. Because I had to go to a nativity rehearsal and I was very upset about <laughs> it. Um, so on but, the back of that, they just went out and bought a video recorder. I, I don't know that it was quite that simple, but I, I, from my perspective as quite a young child, that was how it happened. I wow. think it might have been the impetus to do something my dad had been yeah. itching to do for some time. Oh, for God's sake, just get a video recorder. She wants to whining about it. <laughs> no, I'm sure I was angelic and just very distraught. Yeah, yeah, just very, very, you know. Absolutely. But yeah, no, I, I love that kind of the lens fan will, fans will yeah. go to. And then how fan they interact love. with the material when it doesn't exist. Mm. You know, I... I am a. I have been known to dabble in fan fiction, um, mm-hmm. and for me, that is kind of an equivalency in that you're looking at something that doesn't exist or that you're hinted at, or yeah. quite often, you know, particularly in Doctor Who. There's and I have to be fair, I haven't dabbled in Doctor Who fan fiction, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of oh, we've just finished this adventure, but we haven't told you anything about it. Yeah, I and mean, I don't know if you're up to speed or if you've heard of. Um, there's a company called Big Finish who make audio yeah. plays. Um, and they have um, the license to do Doctor Who, and they set stories in those gaps in between the ones that are on the TV. So, um, yeah, it's helpful for them that you've got these gaps because then they can come up with interesting new stories. Anyway, back to Tomb of the Cybermen. Yeah, sorry. I was about to go into the line between official productions mm. and fanfic. But yeah, oh, no, go no, on, I, no, go on. No, no, no. I, just, I, I think that line is lovely. And I think Big Finish is a really good example of where it exists. Mm. Because I know that there are, you know, there's a lot of the creators in the Doctor Who world are, are very much fans. Yeah. And that meeting a point of where somebody gets a license and it is official versus somebody just kind of doing it out of love, mm-hmm. I think is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yes, back to two of the Cybermen. <laughs> yeah, so this is, uh, if I remember right, it's their th- the Cybermen's third outing. Okay. Um, so, yeah, you have this, um, to set the scene, you have this uh, expedition, don't you? Which is um, like an Earth expedition, these 
so moneyed, moneyed types are getting... There were some interesting challenges, I think, coming into this blind. Because obviously yeah. I picked up quite quickly that this was Victoria's first story or that she okay. had just kind of arrived at the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know about Jamie, like I knew he existed. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge fan of professional Scots. Oh. oh. <laughs> however, however, uh, other than that, you know. <laughs> um, so that was quite good. Um, this isn't I, think he, I think he has got Scottish lineage. Oh, absolutely. If that helps. But so, uh, so do most yeah. of the SNP, but they kind of turn it into a party trick. Um, <laughs> you know, why is he wearing a kilt? Like, why? Like, well, by, by all accounts, he um, in his first story, which is called The Highlanders, he had a very, a much more, a much softer sort of Highland accent uh-huh. um, because it was he was only going to be a one-off character and then they decided to offer him a recurring role. Uh, so then it kind of morphed into a sort of generic Scots accent. And then after a while, the fact that he was from the the time of the um, Battle of Culloden just seemed mm. to be completely irrelevant. He was just a lad travelling with a doctor. Fair enough. <laughs> he, In yeah, any case, just... so, so that was kind of, it's quite interesting kind of being sort of... Uh, uh, bounced into an episode like mm-hmm. that not really knowing that I didn't want to go and look too much into it so I didn't kind of go and figure out where they were in the kind of yeah. arc or anything mm-hmm. um, I've seen Patrick Troughton um, in the War Games mm-hmm. um, and I quite like him I think he he has all of the things that I associate with Doctor like you know he can be serious he's got mm-hmm. a bit of joviality about him so there's a bit of a wicked sense of humour at a couple of yeah. stages Um and he's clearly intelligent, and he kind of mm. plays that quite well. He plays mm. off people well. He's um, quite, um, well, I wouldn't say Machiavellian, but he he has this ability to uh, disarm people by appearing to be a bit of a buffoon, but all the while, in the background, he's he knows exactly what's going on, and he's going to do whatever it takes to, to sort it out. Yeah, and I think you see that in most of the contemporary doctors, just mm. in different extents and in different yeah. ways. Um, so whether they play the puppy dog or whether they pay, play like you know the disarming, charming, or mm-hmm. or the slightly eccentric, um, they're they're they all kind of play on that to a greater or lesser extent. Just going um, off on a bit of a tangent, yeah. um, so you're not so keen on professional Scots. What do you what do you make of David Tennant and his um, accent as the Doctor? <laughs> Um, I think it was a choice that they made. I don't. Uh, I'm not particularly bothered by it. I think particularly because we did get Peter Capaldi. Um, yes, that, that so it's not like the Doctor wasn't ever a Scot that they decided that he shouldn't be a Scot. And we've had uh, Sylvester McCoy as well. He was Scottish. Yes, uh, I'm not particularly familiar with Sylvester McCoy in mm. his Doctor Who enactment. I've seen him uh, live at the festival a couple of times, which mm. was fascinating. Uh, both he and uh, Robert Picardo, who plays right. the EMH in uh, Star Trek Voyager uh-huh. it came and did something uh, uh-huh. for a little group that was fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, sorry, that was very much tangent. Sorry, I'm diverting uh, you off here. You're absolutely fine. So the, this whole bit kind of started because you spoke about like this Earth mission. Mm-hmm. So as somebody who is not particularly familiar with um, classic who, it took me several minutes to decide whether they were supposed to be on an alien planet or on Earth. Well, it does look a little bit like a quarry, doesn't it? Well, yes, uh, but also I knew that that was how they would have filmed it. So like, I, yeah. it wasn't that I was like, oh, this is rubbish because I can't tell. Mm-hmm. But I was genuinely not sure whether they were supposed to be kind of in Egypt or somewhere like Egypt and they were going to find like a pyramid in a tomb. Because mm-hmm. that's what I thought of when I thought of okay. tombs. Um, 
or whether they were on an alien planet. And then I saw a rocket, and then I was a bit more sure, but then yeah. I wasn't really sure. And then I had no <laughs> idea of when it was set. So I like I, I you know there wasn't a level of like what I would take. There weren't cues for what I would take to be future. Okay. So I was like, so is this? Well, surely the rate of inflation when um, the character Kaftan says she'll give fifty pounds to the first man who can open the doors at the tomb. I mean, well, surely that I mean, would give you a bit of an inside look at the uh, fact that there are how far into all. the future we were. <laughs> well, yeah, precisely. Um, so yeah, I found that was probably the hardest thing for me through the out the whole episode was trying okay. to understand: Are these all human? Mm-hmm. Are they on Earth? Are they not on Earth? When are we? And to be fair, to a certain extent most of that didn't really matter no um, but it did disarm me to begin with i wasn't mm-hmm. quite sure what i was watching okay okay and what did you make of that sort of cast of guest characters so I, to begin with i was remarkably impressed by the diversity of mm-hmm. the the cast of characters because there was a quite a lot of them but b you know they weren't all white yeah. Um, and they were all male. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Uh, that was better than I was expecting. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think. So, we've said that it's not really. You've got to be careful how you compare classic mm. Who with modern yeah. Who. Um, but, like, there is a bit of me that goes, so if this was modern Who, you would lose half the extraneous characters. Mm. You would. There were quite a lot of bits that I was like, you could tighten that up, you could tighten that up, yeah. um, and turn this into like a two-parter, maybe, mm-hmm. um, or maybe an episode, given how long those epi- those um, the actual episodes are, because they're yeah. only sort of twenty minutes or so, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, so there were one or two bits where I was like, do we actually need all these people? Um, but no, I was I was genuinely kind of quite impressed with them. Um, there was some good back and forth. I thought they didn't do too bad a job of trying to like set the scene without labouring the point too much. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I get everything straight off, but actually you pick it all up and that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the actual, so once they stopped wandering around amongst the kind of dunes and the hills yeah, um, and they blew the thing up, I was like, well, oh, that was actually, <laughs> you know what? The, the graphic wasn't bad. They blew the thing up. I was like, okay, I'll take that. Yeah. Um, the reveal of the the actual doors of the the thing was quite funny. Yeah, yeah, quite but, a precise uh, explosion, wasn't it? It was a very precise explosion. Yeah, yeah. But I will give them that. Yeah. Um, and the actual doors were really interesting. It was the first kind of um, stylistic thing that I had seen. Yeah, yeah. Almost not quite a hieroglyph, but that kind of um, yeah, almost like a corporate logo. But I quite enjoyed that, and I quite enjoyed the fact that so what I'm seeing are things that. I've noticed in contemporary Who, modern mm-hmm. Who, yeah. that clearly come from further back because obviously yeah. we, we see kind of iconography associated with the Cybermen at various mm-hmm. stages. And while it's not the same, it's a nod to the fact that this is something that happens. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, we've talked about the diversity. There is a bit of an elephant in the room, or more than one elephant, if, if we're honest. Uh, uh, yes, so we have a strapping, beautiful black man who mm-hmm. appears to be there as muscle. Yeah, and so as he's Tobin and he's played by Ray Stewart. He appears in another, a later Doctor Who, a John Pertwee. Um, and unfortunately, he gets equally not not particularly well served in that one either, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I think it's difficult as an... I am not an expert on this subject by any stretch, mm-hmm. but 
it did stand like it, it struck me very much as something that I wouldn't expect to see today and if I did I would call it out yeah. mm. to a certain extent it is of its era yeah um, and you've got the the two sort of for want of a better word baddies the main bad guys are um, yeah. the character of Eric Klieg who's played by George Pastel who'd been in quite a, a few sort of fairly high profile films prior to this and uh character of kaftan played by shirley cooklin now you may or may not be aware she was the wife of the producer at the time which i'm ah. sure was just completely coincidental yes i am absolutely <laughs> sure that is the case it's difficult because these things do happen um and they happen in other shows as well i'm sure yeah, there's yeah. several star trek stories where there's like oh this person was dating one of the producers mm-hmm. when they mysteriously got part in the show um uh, there, anything, there is a small degree of uh, well you know maybe i'm just Bit, maybe I'm sensitive to it, I don't know, but it, it does come across a little bit like, oh, they're a bit foreign, they're not to be trusted. Yes, I think the fact that it then transpires that all of the people who turn out to be particularly um, unhelpful mm. <laughs> over the course of the story are, are not your traditional upstanding. Although, that said, Toberman does get that sort of... Uh... Oh, Toberman excluded. He does, but he is very much treated as a kind of tool. Like, even when the doctor follows him down, like, he Mm -hmm. goes first. And I'm like, I don't associate the doctor with somebody who would send somebody in Mm. for them. Mm. And, like, he is very much being used as a tool. He's been like, don't you want to get these people back? Look what they've done. That didn't ring particularly comfortably with me. Um, so while the Doctor absolutely does manipulate people, I don't associate them with somebody who would yeah, send somebody into danger as their shield. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we can't change how it was made. We can acknowledge no, that there no. were problems with it, but I think we kind of... I think of, you have to try and take it on its own terms as much as you possibly can. Yeah. And like I said, you know, there are various things where I'm like... So the American... Uh, crew of the spaceship or yeah, the crew of the spaceship um, in inverted I think commas American, American. Yeah. well we'll come back to that because somebody <laughs> made me watch this on the premise that I was getting Clive Merrison well One, yeah that I thought that, knowing two, he was pretending to be an American <laughs> and that is not what I enjoyed from Clive Merrison but come on this is a performance you might not have otherwise seen I didn't really see it because it didn't really exist but yeah well yeah alright okay yeah, no, I will say that. Um, and you know what? That wasn't the only reason I was doing it, so it's fine. <laughs> I thought that um, might reel you in, though, seeing as you're a bit of a Holmes fan. Do and I love Mr. Marathon. He makes a very mm-hmm. good Holmes. Mm-hmm. He does have quite a distinctive voice, so I spent quite a lot yes. of time trying to listen out for him. I was like, where is he? Where is he? <laughs> uh, yes. So I think, so despite, so I was quite impressed by the diversity on the screen, but then mm-hmm. I think the way that that was then used is slightly problematic. Um, so Kaftan was much more independent and she kind of at least had a bit of, she had, um, she wasn't always doing what she was told to do. There was no. much more kind of two-way going on there, which was good. Mm-hmm. Victoria made me crazy. Um, yeah, she she has a habit of doing that. I mean, in fairness, you have to think about it. She's come from Victorian England and she's now she, in the future. The and... only clue I had to that was the fact that she was wearing a period dress. Yeah. 
But did you did I you like the line? Sort of... I think they improvised it between Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton when uh, she comes out and she says, "Oh, do you what do you think of my skirt? It's not too short, is it?" And he says, "Oh no, look at Jamie's." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I am. Um... So if she's supposed to have been Victorian, because I wasn't mm-hmm. sure she was, yeah. Then the fact that she goes from wearing full Victorian garb yeah. to like a short skirt and yeah. knee boots or whatever it is she's wearing, mm. um, I, I found that slightly odd. So I kind of chose to move past that. Yeah. She kind of vacillates though from being entirely pathetic <laughs> to being, oh wait a minute, I can do this thing. No, we must do this thing. Oh, but I don't mm. know how to do this thing, so I've got to get a man to do this thing for me. Um, yeah. And again, it's a sign of a time, and I am also like I. I'm embedded enough in the Who fandom and I've heard commentaries on various episodes and things mm. like that. So I'm aware of the fact that with particularly with the female companions, there were many issues. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everything you said is completely... Treated. Everything you said is completely on track with how I feel about that character. That said, I think there is a really nice, almost like a family dynamic between the Doctor and Victoria and Jamie. Yeah, I do enjoy the fact that there's a there is some criticism of contemporary who where mm. the doctor's relationship with some of the companions, some people feel like, you know, is too close to like romance or too close to like mm. whatever. Um that like I'm not particularly keen to see the doctor hooking up, but I'm not particularly <laughs> bothered by flirtations or camaraderie or anything like that. But I did enjoy that very kind of innocent relationship there was. Yeah, there's that beautiful scene, isn't there, where they're sitting, it's just a quiet moment, um, and they're talking about um, the Doctor's family, and he talks about how he, if he really wants to see them, he can see them in his mind. Mm. I think that's a, a really nice scene. And again, it's it's a, a good reminder for me that those kind of moments of like deepness that we mm. sometimes get in contemporary who are also there in the old who there's there there is a history of that that, mm-hmm. they're, that they're building on yeah. um if i'm being at all skeptical there are one or two moments where i'm like oh this makes me slightly creepy because uh, it's a more <laughs> mature man clearly taking advantage of the innocence of a young woman wow hang on a minute <laughs> well like not not in a kind of you're clearly a perv way but there are moments whereby he's like, oh, no, Victoria, I really need you to do this for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, oh, no, you know, it's very important that you do this. And it's the combination of his confidence and her naivety, I think, mm-hmm. just sets something like not not horrifically. But there was one or two moments where I was like, nah. <laughs> I, I will not love that. Um, but that is certainly not a trait, I'm sure, uh, that is solely attributable to this iteration of the Doctor. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, no. Um, but, yeah, so the, there they are. From what I understand, Jamie is kind of there as the muscle. Yeah, he's quite gung-ho, isn't he? Yeah, he's, you know, let me get at them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the kilt does really irritate me. I suppose <laughs> like, if, 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 if he's coming from like a proper period whereby... Uh, sort of an old school kilt might have been worn he might have and been he wears it the whole way through he's one of the longest serving um companions and mm. uh, he wears it right the way through um so it must have been really quite skanky by the time he finished i mean, I'd like they to think they might have cleaned but... it yeah it's possible to clean these things <laughs> um, but yeah no i think he wasn't i didn't find him particularly irksome but oh, he, that's he, good. That's he was clearly the faint there. Price. 
<laughs> he was clearly there as like the muscle slash foil. Like yeah. some of the jokes were clearly like that was kind of his role. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, that's that's good as a, as a kind of combination. I didn't like. I thought they hit quite a lot of different points. So hopefully, yeah, they're a kind of good balance. They're a good team. Yeah, I think um, the the when they get further into Patrick Troughton's run in the role, um, when Victoria leaves, there's a new female companion called Zoe, who is uh, from the future. Mm. So you've got a slightly different dynamic there, and she's like a computer genius. Um, and I think that, for me, is my favourite sort of time team from his era. I think they work particularly well together. Um, that sounds more promising. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. She still ends up having to scream a lot, and you know, it's you know, we're not making huge leaps and bounds, but um, at least, yeah, they they credit her with some intelligence, which is always you know, and a I bonus. <laughs> there's certainly now there is a lot of discussion about each doctor's uh, reincarnation or um, mm. regeneration, even uh, being a sort of a re. Uh, Yes, 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 yes. A consequence <laughs> of like a reaction to the, the the incarnation that is coming to an end. Yeah, which I is think that's always been the case, get... really. Yeah, I mean, certainly I think... the first time round. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say that I think that's also true of the companions sometimes. Yeah. So if the writers have suddenly realised that they've created this character that they've yeah. put this limitation on, mm-hmm. they suddenly go, oh, "Actually, it would be really good if why you know we could do this very differently or this." kind of uh, take it on a different a different uh, direction yeah there's um there's a companion in the the, f- the first series of john pertwee they have a character called liz shaw who is a professor and she is an equal to the doctor oh wow so it's very very much uh yeah a break from the screaming sort of girl that has to be rescued all the time and uh she's really beloved by a lot of fandom but she lasted for one series mainly because the actress um, became pregnant, so she had to obviously take a break from acting anyway. But um, I think they did, the production team decided that um, they weren't happy that it was there wasn't that much of a foil, um, and they wanted um, a slightly different character. So the the next one that comes after her. Um, is <sighs> she's a bit ditzy she's brilliant she's called the character's called joe grant she's played by katie manning she's a real force of nature really uh, lovely lady she's kind uh, of renowned for screaming though isn't she yeah and she's and a bit twisting ditzy, ankles but she's really plucky so she's okay. incredibly brave she perhaps isn't you know as book smart as the previous one but she's got a lot of guts and she's not afraid to get stuck in but she can be a bit screamy and so obviously, I think they decided to go back to that, and then, as you say, as a reaction to that, they then introduced um, Sarah Jane Smith, who's the next one to take over. So she is the, I think, their first real attempt to have um, um, a more feminist uh, approach to casting a female role. So she was a reporter, and uh, she was much more sort of, I don't know. Um, she was a far more um intellectually independent yeah yes very well put. so i think for <laughs> thank you uh, it's a fluke i promise 
so I think that that's it's really interesting to see that that arc and I think what we say time and again with anything that we enjoy mm. is that you can call out the challenges which we have clearly done yeah and um, while still acknowledging that there are things that they are doing better than mm. other people were at the same time yeah um, so here we are and that's what we have <laughs> uh, so they're standing in front of the tomb with where we'd got to i believe yeah. um so yeah uh so um there's electrocutions a go-go and um the i think the doctor if i remember manages to to open the doors without getting killed yes. uh, and then there's all that business with the uh the controls isn't there where he's trying to make out that uh he hasn't got a clue how to open it and all along you know he knows what he's doing and he's just doing just enough to, to make it interesting yeah 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 and i quite yeah. enjoy that and again that's something that i recognize as a characteristic of the doctor that kind of mm. bumbling oh let me just oh well maybe oh it hasn't worked what a shame <laughs> so what did you make of the cybermen so there are two elements to this so the first is that <laughs> I understand that a lot of people are very fond of this iteration of the Cybermen. Mm -hmm. um, and that I can understand why, and I can understand why when it was created. Yeah, it's quite it an iconic was, design. It absolutely is. Um, the other part is that they look slightly ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> now, I thought you were going to come on to something else, which is the voice. The voice um, is quite hard to interpret. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I couldn't decide if that was just me, but it, no, it's not. No, the first time I watched it, I was easiest. like, oh, I'm going to have to put on the subtitles. I can't. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I got most of it. It's like many things. You kind of tune in and you mm -hmm. can pick it up more easily. Um, so there are a couple of things. So, yeah, like silver welly boots and silver onesies um, <laughs> does not make a tip. They kind of look like they're wearing socks on their heads. I don't know why. Anyway, <laughs> so there was that element. Um and that, like I say, I, I did enjoy this episode and you kind of just have to put that to one side. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you have to put to one side is the fact that in this massive hive in the Tomb of the Cybermen, there were, I think, nine Cybermen. Um, yeah, I mean, and obviously that's just... they're, they're working to a budget. I, I personally think the uh, the tomb set looks really good. Yeah, I think so too. And the fact that, you know, you get that scene of them breaking out, I think yeah. is really good. Um, and there were various points whereby you're like, you didn't see the action mm -hmm. or you just kind of have to believe that there are thousands of these sets of nine <laughs> that are all coming out simultaneously um, which clearly wasn't happening the <laughs> the cyber controller yes this is the first time that character has been introduced yes so obviously the cyber controller is something that i have come across before mm -hmm. um, i'm not quite sure what was going on with their head it was like yeah. some kind of weird glass brain thing, maybe. Yeah, it probably doesn't show up quite so well on screen, but um, I've actually seen that prop Ooh. in real life, and um, it's got lights inside it and it's meant to glow, but I'm not sure mm. that really came off quite as well on screen as they, they intended. No, I don't think so. Um, so that was, that was quite interesting, and hmm. because... I've been aware of a cyber controller. Like logically, mm -hmm. I think I always assumed there must be a cyber controller. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that's <laughs> so to cross fandoms for a second. Go on. So obviously the Borg or something that I am more familiar with. Oh um, yeah, uh, that was an interesting and 
unique idea, wasn't it? The Borg. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and to be fair, I don't think Star Trek would ever say that they were unique because you you see them <laughs> in various stages. Um, yeah. But one of the massive controversies with the Borg is that a lot of people feel like the the concept of having a Borg queen mm. kind of almost counterintuitively destroyed the the nature of the Borg because if they right. were uh, designed to be you know a hive mind then why yeah. would you need somebody that was kind of at the center of that yeah i can kind of see that logic for me i maybe it's just a leap of logic too far for me this idea that you could have an entity without a figurehead mm. like i believe that the figurehead could be replaced yeah but the idea that you wouldn't need something well, you look at, at nature and things like um, beehives you know you have the the workers and what have you and then you've got the the queen at the center of it yeah, so I think even before we came across the idea of a cyber controller in New Who, or mm. Modern Who, or whatever, um, I kind of think I probably always assumed that there was somebody behind it somewhere. Yeah. Um, whether that person had set this all up and then died a fiery death eaten by their own monsters. Well, you need to see the invasion, because they, they take it up another notch. They've got the cyber planner. Oh. And, uh, it looks a bit like a sort of novelty chocolate fountain with spinning things. okay i'm excited about that yeah it's um yeah maybe i've oversold it to you i don't want you to be disappointed when you see it but uh, yeah it's gonna be clive person all over again (laughs) (laughs) i but what i did what i didn't realize had a history in who Mm. was the cybermats yeah so this is their first outing as well i was like oh look at them and actually they are, and they're quite impressive. Like, of mm-hmm. all the effects, I think those might be some of my favourite. Yeah, they do a few different variations, don't they? So they've got some that are very obviously just being pulled along on string and some that are, I guess, Even the ones that are being pulled along on string, they do it very well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they're... <laughs> so I'm willing to give them that, cute. I think. They are. Yeah. They, they do look quite cute. The, the bit where it falls apart a little bit is when they attack people, um, and then yeah. it's plainly like an actor holding a cyber bat at their <laughs> neck and going, ah! <laughs> I wasn't entirely sure what they were doing to the people <laughs> other yeah. than making them scream. But still, um, there was quite a lot of gun action in this as well. Yeah. There was quite a lot of shooty shooty. Mm-hmm. Which is I, not really typically what you tend to think of as Doctor Who, really. No, Although there are vast swathes of the 1980s where it turned into something like akin to the Terminator. but <laughs> I am aware that the it. fact that the idea that the Doctor doesn't use guns is very much a wrong idea. Or well, at least I think, it's, I think it's it's, uh, it varies depending story to story whether he does or not. <laughs> There's nothing like a bit of continuity. I do oh, love no, that. No. However, nothing will ever beat the continuity that I discovered. Sorry, this is a massive tangent. <laughs> I once read a murder she wrote novel. Right. For reasons we will not go into. Um, but I, I've watched quite a lot of Murder, She Wrote. Quite okay. enjoyed it. Yeah. Quite like Jess Fletcher. Quite like... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, oh, that's awful. Whatever the actress's name is. Um, but in this novel, it kind of opens with her driving her car. And I'm like, but she doesn't drive. That's the whole point. Oh. Like She's always like, getting on trains and getting lifts from people. That's kind of like a thing. Angela um, Lansbury. That's the one. So I've anyway... Ooh, check you. Yeah. That's definitely one to take off the list. Um, but yes, no, I that that was the worst case of like lack of continuity in the first like three lines of well, the book. Well, I, descri- I, I yeah, if I'd started reading it, I would have just thrown it straight out the window. 
frankly. <laughs> to be fair, that probably would have been a better use of time because it was <laughs> horrific. <laughs> anyway, wow. so it, it makes some of the Star Trek novels and some of the Torchwood novels that I have read look like masterpieces. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a lot, doesn't it? That makes me want to read it now. <laughs> I'll send it to you in the post. Oh, thank you very much. Somewhere. I can always post um, a link on the show notes. <laughs> no, nobody <laughs> or not, deserves that. Maybe. <laughs> anyway, where are we? Yeah, so uh, guns and things. Mm. So one of the bits that I was like, I don't know that I really understand. It wasn't the cleanest kind of component. Was the, the bit where they're being hypnotised, but it's actually a firing mm. range for testing. Yeah something and in a tomb I, yeah. yeah I didn't really that didn't hang quite logically correctly no it's um it's a bit of a bit of a strange one really um yeah I've never really seen quite understood the logic I've always you know thing is when you grow up with it you just kind of when you're a small child and you're reading the novelization or you're listening to the audio you tend to just kind of go along with it but it's when you come to sit down and watch it for something like this you start to sort of analyze it a bit more and you think well why would they have a firing range in a tomb but like logically like it's and sometimes you just have to suspend these things because you know as a fan of star trek and of mm. doctor who and all sorts of other things you sometimes just have to acknowledge that that's just what like you know clearly it was there for a plot device because a mm. they needed uh cliffhanger for the end of episode one mm-hmm. um, and also it allowed them to put more weapons into the conversation yeah um, that might you know threaten the cybermen and um, you just know as soon as you see a massive sort of fridge stroke cupboard with a cyberman shape form in it you just know someone's <laughs> going to get shut in there don't you you do i was like (laughs) and we all know who it's gonna be yes absolutely (laughs) in a skirt that didn't really facilitate that not really no bless her (laughs) i was like somebody didn't think this through Mm. a her legs are too short for that and b she's wearing a skirt (laughs) so i can't imagine it was very comfortable i again you know it's it's echoes of things that I recognise in terms mm-hmm. of, like, you know, conversion chambers and things like that. Um, there was a bit of me that was looking at that going, knowing what the Cybermen of this era look like, being like, so what do they do in there? Like, <laughs> do they, like, pour liquid resin over you to make your suit? Like, what's going on? I think on? they say they get um, re-energised or something in there, don't they? So Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the, like, as a concept... Uh, it's, it wasn't very surprising that somebody did, in fact, get stuck in it. And I personally enjoyed that bit where um, was it Kaftan, who's like, mm-hmm. uh, somebody's like, did you pull that lever? And she's like, no. No. Like, no, I definitely <laughs> didn't. And they're like, come and help me get her out. And she's like, oh, oh I can't open the door. <laughs> yes, but I can't decide I think for me personally, when you're watching these, some stand up better than others, but I think what keeps my interest right the way through is Patrick Troughton's performance. I think he is so mesmeric. Um I just I just you can't take your eyes off him when he's on the screen. I think he's uh he's probably in in some respects a bit too good for a, a kid's show, but you know, it's just brilliant casting. I, I see exactly where you're coming from, but I think for me the quality of an actor is in how valid they can make whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And I think a, a good kind of versatility and an ability to bring different components into a character is really key. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's true whether it's kids' shows or adult shows, because I think sometimes we forget how perceptive children are. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. And like they don't really like bad acting any more than the rest no. of us. They might like more caricature, mm-hmm. but actually, bad acting doesn't doesn't sell. No. No. Um, so yeah, that's a good one. What uh, do you make of the music in this? Because they like to use a bit of uh, stock music. There's a a theme that they play when the Cybermen are breaking out of their tombs and it's been used on a couple of occasions before. Um, it's quite interesting, that sort of uh, uh, music concrete, that kind of um, experimental music. I really like it. I think it's I wasn't different. particularly aware of it, which I think is a good sign. Yeah. I am... Um... So well, I didn't go, think? oh my gosh, this is awful. Like, as in, it was quite heavy handed. Like, the music mm. cues were clearly kind of like, bah, bah, oh, bah. Yeah. but that's what well, I would expect. Yeah, well, bear in mind also at this time, they, uh, for a lot of the older um, serials, they don't really have a, a dedicated composer. So, not too far after this, they, they have a dedicated composer who actually creates the score to the story. Whereas for a lot of the older ones, they're actually using. Um, stock music like tension music yeah, or like I think you know, it fits romance music pretty well or... yeah I it th- does yeah i think it's when you think at the time this is going out like the number one album on the, the uk charts was sergeant pepper oh, wow and you had the likes of because uh, i had a little look around to see what was going on at this time um piper of the gates of dawn by pink floyd was in the top 10 as well and Jimi hendrix so it's quite a sort of experimental time musically. So I suppose it kind of chimes with that in a slightly more uh, filmic way. Yeah, and I think it's very easy for us to to be slightly rude about kind of stock music. But mm. actually, when you think about it, like all of our favourite characters and our favourite stories or, like, you know, there will be music cues that we associate with them mm-hmm. so uh, another massive tangent um i've been to see downton abbey recently oh um, right and it was lovely and it was exactly what you would expect it to be mm-hmm. like not earth shattering or life-changing or you know the greatest piece of cinema ever however it was lovely but one of the things that i was very aware of was that i was like oh and this is peril music and oh mm-hmm. this is somebody might be going to jail music and this is <laughs> romance music and boris johnson <laughs> Maybe. I wish. Um <laughs> there were but that was very much kind of like that was what brought you back to it. It was what you mm-hmm. made it feel like what it was. So I think, yeah. you know, key themes, perhaps more artistically woven, um, are definitely still Durgar. So in terms of because I, I know you said you've seen a bit of old who how does this how mm. would you rate this alongside what you've seen so far um, i would rate this pretty highly mm-hmm. um possibly because i've paid more attention to it i'm quite bad for putting things <laughs> on in the background and then kind of drifting yeah my wife's very much like that but you know <laughs> i multitask mm. um but that for me yeah no i enjoyed it i think the fact that it, it was four episodes and not you know eight i think probably yeah I, that was one thing i kind of thought about when i thought about imposing this on you i didn't really want to give you you know anything too lengthy (laughs) um and the other end of that is that if i if i were watching it today then i would expect like the pacing feels slow (laughs) um but that's 
like like I say, in, in the space of uh, four episodes, well, four episodes are supported two hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not too bad, but I think I've struggled with some of the other... I suppose what you have to remember is that this was meant to be, yeah, this is going to be seen once. This was broadcast on Saturday evening on BBC One um, on a weekly thing. And, you know, once you'd seen the story, that was it. And you were just watching it episode to episode. Yeah. And we're just used to different things now. Like the Mm. the pace of life is faster. The pace of TV is certainly faster. Um, So joking aside, Clive Merson and his mate in The Rocket Uh probably wouldn't have ever been in. A well, I'm not really sure they added it all. <laughs> Other than coming in and saving Victoria when she couldn't flip a lever. Um, well, she's you know, only a girl after all. It's a man's job. Yeah, um, exactly. I was like, oh, I can't remember which one they flipped, so let me get people who weren't in the room when it happened <laughs> to go into it for me. However, uh, admitting one's shortcomings is, is a good skill. That's not necessarily mm. bad. No. Um, so yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, I like I say, I haven't seen a lot. Um, I've seen the War Games, and I've seen some of Peter Davidson's first episode. Oh yeah, um, which I can't remember the name of. Um, but I think he spends quite a lot of it like in a container being carried yeah, around by people. Castro Valva. That's the one. Mm. Um, and I quite enjoyed that. Yeah. Um, and I've watched. Is it the Three Doctors? Mm-hmm. One of the collaborative yeah. ones. There's a few multi-doctor uh, ones, yeah. Yeah, it's either three doctors or five doctors, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I quite enjoyed that as well. I I, I do love a team up. Team ups mm. are like one of my favourite things. Yeah, and it's they're, they're I think obviously I can't speak for all fandom, but I think they do tend to be fan favourites. Yeah, and they're Just they're for the rare. Nostalgia factor, and yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you've got to enjoy that. So mm. I I love the fiftieth anniversary special. Yeah, um, and that was like one of the things I enjoyed so much was seeing different doctors kind of interacting with each mm, other, kind yeah. of playing off each other. Yeah, um, and I think they did that particularly well in that instance. No, I think they did. Yeah, oh, but you got hope... an actor of the standing of John Hurt coming in. You know, it's, precisely uh, half and the work's already done, isn't it? It is. But one of the things that I love about Doctor Who is that you do get people who are renowned. Mm-hmm. like sticking their head up and being like oh i'll totally do this yeah um, either because they love the show or because they understand the value of it mm-hmm. or because they think it's going to be some fun um, and all of those things are perfectly valid yeah um, i think sometimes being british allows us to recognize more faces mm-hmm. um, and i think that's really interesting and you know it is lovely when you see someone like clive merrison you're like oh bless your little cotton socks <laughs> This is like the casualty of the 60s. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. Or the bill. Yeah, do you remember the bill? Oh, yes. Yeah, any Those. actor worth their salt would have been on that at least twice. <laughs> Usually <laughs> as a bad guy and a good guy. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily in the same episode, but yeah. Oh, no. But, you know, that's it, isn't it? So are yeah. we, we going to rate this or? Um, I would rate it, I don't know, maybe four out of five for... Um, classic Who, mm-hmm. and maybe three out of five overall. That's still pretty good. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Hmm. Um, if somebody went, let's watch this again, I wouldn't be like, no. Oh, well, that's good. I, I'm glad I haven't completely turned you off old. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And so, the, so when I did start watching uh, Classic Who, my intention was to try and watch 
one from each doctor at least. That was okay. kind of I thought logically I was like I'd like to I'll never watch it all, I don't think. Um or at least not kind of in a straight line of kind of chronological yeah, that's a big commitment. Well precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it doesn't all exist, so No. So there's no point in trying to be a completionist with my logic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of it's it stirred me up to maybe go back to that and see if I can find. So I'm going to try and see if I can find you know maybe the best story in each of the doctors or the most well regarded story. Well, in uh, between asking you to do this uh, and coming to record, uh, very sadly we lost uh, Terence Dix, who was a huge figure in the world of old Doctor Who. He was mm-hmm. a script editor, writer, and probably best known for. Um, overseeing the the target books range of novelizations, and um, one of my friends who who runs a another podcast, uh, J.R. Southall, he does something called Strangers in Space. He um, introduced me to this thing called the Preference Revealer. Ooh. So um, it took what felt like years to do. So he basically input every single story of from Doctor Who from. 1963 right up to the present date so this thing presents you with two choices and you say whether you prefer one or the other and it keeps on whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling it down once you've been there for about five hours (laughs) it eventually comes up with this comprehensive list of your favorite stories in order and my number one story was written by terence sticks and it's called horror of fang rock um, which no, is I a Tom Baker. I've heard of that, yeah. And it's fantastic. It's... Uh, so, it, it's so it did, in fact, get your preference correct? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's um, it's my... I've described it before, I think, as the sort of TV equivalent of comfort food. It's, you know, you can imagine sitting down on a, a cold, blustery Sunday uh, with a nice cup of hot tea and you just sit up on the sofa and... It's absolute bliss. It's brilliant. Okay, there, I'll write there down are, horror of Fang Rock. Yeah, I mean, there is a slightly shonky alien. But that aside, it is brilliant. Really atmospheric and, um, yeah, I just I I love get, it to bits. I get the impression that shonky aliens are kind of part of the joy of, yeah, of classic. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean about accepting things for what they are. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these Cybermen aren't my favorite iteration in terms of mm. their like physical look yeah but actually you know they're there they're doing their job and actually it's quite funny like you've got to just embrace it for what it is yeah very much so well if people would like to suggest episodes that i should watch in Ooh. my one from each doctor very quick purview <laughs> then i will happily take advice oh excellent right well i'll put that out on our um, social media feeds and we'll hopefully get a bit of response from from listeners yeah Excellent. Well, I think we'll go for a break now. And when we come back, uh, we'll have a few recommendations of things that uh, we want to share with the listeners. So back in a moment. Perfect. Will Doctor Who escape this time? By Wall's New Shape Sky Ray with double flavours of raspberry and orange. And you get a free colour picture card. One of a series showing Doctor Who and the Space Raiders battling with Daleks. Free when you buy Wall's new shape Skyray. Only six months. And welcome back. Um, so we're going to come to that part of the show now where we're going to look at our um, guest recommendations. So what have you got for us, Lindsay? 
So a couple of things. I am currently revisiting the His Dark uh, the Dark Materials trilogy ah, uh, okay. from Philip Pullman. Um, Excellent. In, Excited expectation for of the new uh, televised serial that we're going to be getting. Oh, I think yeah. I think before that's, Christmas. That's really great. It does. I failed spectacularly to finish the first book first time I tried. This. <laughs> uh, can I can I make a confession? Yes. I had the the sort of hardback bound edition with you know, the complete thing, the trilogy, and it sat mm. on my bookshelf for years, and I eventually just through sheer laziness, listen to the audiobook versions instead. So it looks beautiful on my bookshelf, but I've, I've never actually read it from cover to cover. I do love an audiobook, and I will admit that I, when I say I'm revisiting, I am, in fact, listening to them. <laughs> it's not cheating. That's perfectly okay. Yeah, I think so. And I just, like, I, I have quite a busy life, and yeah. but I do listen to things most of the mm. time, it, mostly to quiet the sound of my own mind. Um, but it does mean <laughs> that I've got quite a lot of space in my day for for listening to that kind of stuff. So I'm enjoying that's that, good. and I'm really excited about the TV show. Mm, excellent. Um, so that's good. Um, and I'm also super excited about uh, the new season of The Crown. <laughs> oh, is that coming soon? In November. Oh, excellent, right. I've watched the first two and I've really enjoyed them. I'm not necessarily that much of a royalist, but I just find it really engrossing to watch. Yeah, I think they're beautifully shot and mm. they, there's a compelling story at the heart of them, I think. Um, I am slightly concerned that Olivia, Olivia Coleman sounds like Olivia Coleman. Um, oh. <laughs> she, as she sounds, she, she's clearly tweaked her accent, but underneath it all, mm. I still think she sounds like Olivia Coleman. Um, whereas, if, oh no, that's awful. What's her name? No. Oh, the woman thingy, who was, you know, what's yeah, name? thingy, the that one who one. was playing the queen in the first two seasons. Oh, uh, it'll come back to me. That's um, really annoying me now. Hang on. <laughs> Prelude music. So, yeah, magic is happening. There's a thing. <gasps> Talk about <gasps> yourselves, listeners. Yes. Oh, it's going to come back to me, like just as you mm-hmm. find the answer. It's going to be Claire so Foy. frustrating. Claire Foy. Claire so Foy. while Claire Foy might sound like Claire Foy. I didn't mm. know who Claire Foy was when she started. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair comment. Uh, so I'm slightly concerned that that's going to be an issue. However, it However, looks Olivia Coleman And Olivia Coleman is actor, phenomenal. So, She's yeah. so good. And mm. so I am super excited about that. Mm, excellent. Well, I'm going to give you a couple as well. Uh, my first one is something I'm anticipating, so I haven't actually had a chance to check it out yet because it's not quite out yet. Uh, but it's by an author you might have heard of called Philip Pullman. Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah, it's called The Secret Commonwealth, and it's the second of the Book of Dust series. So that is the uh, in set in the same universe as His Dark Materials, mm. which you were currently enjoying. Look at that. We're like on message. Yeah. So I don't know if you've have you uh, listened or read to um, La Belle Sauvage, which was the first one. No, because I'm going to try Ooh. and do them like okay. in a park. Okay. So don't well, give me no spoilers. Spoilers for No, me. I will give you no spoilers whatsoever. What I will say is the audiobook is uh, read by Michael Sheen and <gasps> he does an amazing job and he's going to be reading the next one. So that's due to drop uh, as we record in a couple of days' time. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my other one uh, is. Um, Again, sort of relative to when we're recording, uh, uh, we've just had the 50th anniversary of Abbey Road by the Beatles, and um, that's come out in a, a remixed version, and it sounds absolutely fantastic. It's really, really good. 
So it's interesting. I have only kind of relatively recently discovered, this is something about how old or not I am, I relatively recently discovered the joy of full albums. Yeah. Um, Not to say that I hadn't listened to full albums of sort of current music, but particularly going back and listening because I had, you know, the Beatles, I had the number ones compilation from the Beatles and I had... With a band like that, where they've had all these big hit singles, um, the, the easy way to get into them and to to experience it is to get a compilation and that's to me that makes perfect sense yeah so but things like abigold or the number ones from the beatles or the Uh best of simon and garfunkel doesn't give you the full thing so it's things like i went and listened to the entirety of dark side of the moon oh and i was like it's beautiful it's Mm. like an absolute piece of art um so i'm trying quite hard to listen to actual albums Um, it's one of the things i think we sadly in one way we've gained something by the way digital works because you've got this massive volume of stuff that you can explore and experience and that's i think that's brilliant as a kid i it would have blown my mind to think i could just listen to you know thousands of different artists just at a click of a button um but it does make you slightly more sort of you're picking rather than getting that full experience so like you say listening to an album all the way through <clears throat> is quite a rare thing these days but i think certainly something like pink floyd that you mentioned there i mean it lends itself to that experience because it's designed to be listened to in that way and um yeah i think um stuff like uh, to my personal two favorites from the beatles are abbey road and revolver and um they'll have songs that you're familiar with if you've had those compilations but you get some deeper cuts um, that you won't have heard before that give you a, perhaps a slightly different idea of what they're all about. And uh, I love them. I think they're great. So, um, so yeah, that's that's my other recommendation. That sounds exciting. Mm. It's interesting. We speak about the, the advantages and disadvantages of how we're consuming media these days. Mm. I think, like, I love a podcast. Love a yeah. podcast. Um, for obvious reasons. <laughs> but... It is also I'm increasingly becoming aware of the fact that as we stop listening to radio and start editing our own podcasts mm. kind of list, yeah, it's much easier to kind of control what it is you're consuming. Yeah. So now I don't listen to the sto- like the shows I don't like because why would mm. I? Just, yeah. You know they don't they don't get into the but podcast. It does mean feed. that you're potentially missing out on something that you might have stumbled across had you been listening to the radio. Yeah, and just. You know, sometimes you choose not to listen to things that are difficult. Mm. Whereas actually, if it's a 15 minute show that comes up on the radio, that you might you might be willing to kind of suffer through that and actually learn from it. Uh-huh. Um, so I think I think that's quite interesting just as a kind of another back and forth. Yeah. The other thing I've been immersed in recently is um, cabin pressure because my son <gasps> is getting to that age now pressure. where he's he's starting to hear them and enjoy them so it does mean that we've listened to ottery st mary uh eva tonleban and uh xinjiao multiple multiple times but to me that's perfectly okay because i really enjoy them uh, well precisely moving them. a piano and building snowmen exactly. and all of these things are good and dragon fruit and dragon fruit dragon fruit <laughs> <laughs> You know what? That's one of those moments where I'm like, why would nobody else in the cabin just say dragon fruit? <laughs> We're just going to listen to because it. Because it's funny. It is very funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will give you that. Yeah, I have yeah, absolutely I 
recommended the entirety of Cabin uh, Pressure to somebody else because it, it's, it's just delightful. It's just they wonderful. Are yeah, and, and we I need to listen things. to them so many times, and I, it just never gets old. Yeah, it's interesting because you know I reach for certain things. Like I joke that I have like a summer album and a winter album that are like uh-huh. my go-to's when I'm mm-hmm. like I just need something and I can't decide what uh, in terms of music. So in the winter I listen to there's a Dire Straits compilation. <laughs> okay, yeah. In the summer it's a Simon and Garfunkel compilation. That's like mm-hmm. my seasonal seasonal listening kind of choices. Um, but I often find myself coming back to things like Cabin Pressure when I'm mm. overwrought by political nonsense. Yeah, um, no, it's just, it's a nice escape from, you know, because it's very easy to get caught up in, particularly if you're on social media. Um, it's, you know, it can get quite depressing just seeing the state of the world. So if you just wanted to step away from that for a while and just sit down and spend 25 minutes, half an hour just being entertained um then i don't think you can go too far wrong with that absolutely not and i um sometimes you have to make decisions for your mental health mm. um so for example like i i love um i think margaret atwood is an incredible author and particularly oh, yeah. uh, the handmaid's tale is, a, is mm. a, an incredible work but i was kind of sitting there in the bookshop looking at a copy of the testaments being like i just don't yeah. think i can no, I, just, no, I just don't um... think i can and partly i think for me there's a real fear that the Handmaid's Tale is so beautifully crafted and for me so much of the value in it is what she doesn't say. Mm. Like, what mm. we actually get is comparatively little Yeah. Um, and there are these huge gaps where you don't get given the details on some of how this happened. You don't get mm. all of the details anyway. Um, and there's a bit of me that's like, but what if it's not as good? And that'll be even worse because I'll put myself, <laughs> put myself back in that horrible space. <laughs> And this will be disappointing on multiple levels. So wow. I'm going to take a little gap. I think you're going to have to take the plunge sooner or later. I will. I'm sure I will. But I'm, I'm going to give it a little while first, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just because in the meantime, I'm going to watch The Crown and listen to Cabin Pressure and Doctor well, Who. Sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. Other things that I can uh, Go to avoid. Your happy place. Indeed. That is it. Exactly. Well, thank you ever so much for coming back on again. It's been a real pleasure to have you along. That's all. Thank you so much for having me and for uh, picking such a delightfully good episode. Oh, thanks very much. Um, Well, uh, if you have enjoyed listening to this show, if you happen to listen through Apple Podcasts, if you'd be really kind and just go along and give it a review, you don't have to give it five stars, you know, even four stars. I'd be quite happy with that. Um, And just pop some details in. That'd be amazing. Um, And you can find us on all the usual platforms. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, so just search for Nerdology UK and you'll find us there. Anything you want to give a plug to before you disappear, Lindsay, or are you all...? Um, nothing very exciting, I'm afraid. Um, however, oh. do you, uh, do you offer me uh, opinions on what you would uh, suggest I watch in terms of Classic Who? Um, and you can find me on Twitter at LHA underscore again. Excellent. Right, I, as soon as we finish recording, I'll get straight on and ask for some recommendations. <laughs> I'm going to regret this, I suspect. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much. Not at all. Thank you very much for having me. Okay.